hello, hello. Welcome to Take a Shot with a Mem Joy Emma. I am your girl, your host, a Mem Joy Emma. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whenever you are listening to today's episode, I hope you're listening with some love, some joy, some hope, some peace. If you are not, well, then you know the drill. I am sending that your way right about now. Happy September, everybody. Happy September. I am so excited that it's September. Why? Well, I'm glad you asked. It's because it's my birthday month. This is the month that I made my worldwide debut to planet Earth. And I absolutely love it. This is my favorite month because, well, I'm here. I love birthdays. I celebrate birthdays. I have loved my birthdays since forever. Call me biased, but you know what? This is the best month of the entire year. And I'm I'm really, really excited about it. Now, I don't know what I want to do for my birthday quite yet, but I'm just excited that the month of September is here. But more than that, I'm excited about the conversation that I am going to share with you today. I met an incredible person that goes by the name of Rukayatu Tajani. One of the main things that I love to do is I love to have conversations with people who are taking their shot, people who are stepping out and who are going after what God has put on their heart and are doing it not perfectly, but are doing it courageously and trailblazing and leaving a path for many to follow. And I believe that this person that I interviewed is doing just that. Rukayatu Tajani is an attorney. She is the first African-American in over a decade in her Silicon Valley law firm office. So the girl is doing pretty amazing things. She knew her purpose at the age of five and has been obedient to that call ever since. Rookie's journey is so inspiring. Her story inspires me to keep pushing, to keep going. And I know I'll do the same for you. If you're listening to this and you're saying, you know what, I want to step out in purpose. I want to take my shot. I want to live a life filled with purpose and meaning. Then I know that as you listen to Rookie's story, that you will be greatly inspired and encouraged to step out and do what God has put on your heart. So I'm not going to delay this any further. I am going to leave you with this conversation with the wonderful and incredible Rookie Tajani. Enjoy. I like to fight a little dirty, baby. If I opened up and gave, then would you hurt me, baby? Thank you so much for, first of all, agreeing to, to come on. And um, I'm really honored and excited to speak with you just because I've just been doing some research on you and you are you're amazing what you're doing is pretty incredible and i'm excited to talk all about it um but first of all i have to ask you this question this podcast is all about purpose i i just believe that in this hour in this time that we're in uh we have to be uh, purpose driven Mm -hmm. um and so when you hear the words purpose what comes to mind 
Yeah. Well, first of all, I just want to say thank you so much for having me on this amazing podcast. I've also been following you and just the impact that you're making in the world is nothing short of amazing. So again, thank you for giving me this opportunity. So when I hear the word purpose, I really uh, hear and, and think about the ability to essentially change the world with the unique gifts that God has placed on the inside of us. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that it also includes um, the ability to rely on friends and communities to really help you change the world in um, whatever capacity you are um, empowered to. It can be something on a large scale, mm-hmm. or something on a smaller scale, like, like uh, a relatively smaller scale, like a community organizer who mm-hmm. Barack Obama also did. Yeah, but, that's good. Uh, really utilizing uh, the skills and the talents uh, that have been placed on the inside of you to change the world in some significant way. So that's what I hear. Absolutely. Now in talking about that, and what is your purpose? Um, how did you find clarity on what that was? Yeah. Um, so my purpose is to utilize my analytical facts gathering and narrative building skills to engender and inspire change. And that really came, you know, and it's something that I think is uh a continuous reminder to me when I kind of get um, off center or off track. Mm -hmm. Um, But it really came as a result of um, finding my footing as an attorney. So I wanted to be an attorney since I was five years old, ever since I heard about Brown versus Board of Education and, and the amazing work that the NAACP did. And, um, and I really, was able to take advantage of opportunities that allowed me to engage my analytical fact gathering and narrative building skills. And I realized that those were the very skills that I could utilize to inspire and engender change. Mm-hmm. So, um, and it's something that I do enjoy <laughs> when I'm not uh, giving into like crazy anxiety and fear. Right. So that's how I come, that's how I came to realize that that was my purpose. Wow. That's interesting that you knew you wanted to be an attorney at the age of five. Um, First of all, that's really impressive because people (laughs) are way older than five and and don't know what their purpose is. Um, They're in their 40s, 50s, and still don't have clarity. So I want to ask you, how did you know at five, like what you talk about, you know, the, you talk about the hearing about the justice Thurgood Marshall, um, the Brown board education being that inspiration. Um, why did this, uh, case spark such an interest and a desire and how did you come to know that at five years old? Yeah. So I was in kindergarten. Um, and I remember hearing what I deem as like the rudimentary version of Brown versus Board of Education, mm-hmm. which, you know, is a famous um, landmark Supreme Court decision from 1954, which essentially ruled that American state laws establishing racial segregation in public schools were unconstitutional. And, you know, the Supreme Court worked with uh, local school districts and the other portions of the federal government to execute this ruling or, mm-hmm. or 
which desegregated schools. And I remember kind of hearing all of that when I was five. And what impressed me was just the um, strong advocacy of the brown faces in this very, very predominantly white space. Yeah. So some context, you know, I'm black girl from Brooklyn, New York, grew up in the projects of Brooklyn, New York. And I'm also Nigerian. So I don't, like I, I joke sometimes and say, I don't think I really have much of a choice in terms of whether I want to be a lawyer or a doctor or engineer. <laughs> choices. But uh, in any event, I really was inspired to become a lawyer at this young age because I saw the brown faces and I saw essentially faces that look like me really advocating on behalf of the communities that I truly have yeah. come to care about. Yeah. Um, so I thought, you know, you know, Charles Hamilton Houston, Thurgood Marshall, the NAACP, you know, different amazing individuals are engaging in such life um, expanding and life changing opportunities. Um, I can do that too. Yeah. You know, that, you know, at five, that was a relatively simple thing to say, but the consistency in keeping that goal Mm -hmm. um, was definitely uh, a journey. It was definitely a journey. But as I grew more, you know, I studied in more, in more depth, um, the Brown versus Board of Education decision when I was in college. It was part of one of my senior theses. And I, and I learned that, you know, Brown versus Board of Education was not simply just like the Supreme Court case that, you know, ended up sec- desegregating public schools and mm-hmm. changing American um, education as we know it. But it was kind of the just result of several cases over virtually a decade that um, Thurgood Marshall and Charles Hamilton Houston and the NAACP kind of put in place as part of a plan to desegregate a lot of institutions in the United States, you know, Uh we had, and I don't want to go too much into it because if I do, I'll geek out, but there were, you know, there were cases like Shelley versus Kramer, which ended the enforcement of racially restrictive covenants. Come on. It was Sweat versus Painter and McLaurin versus Oklahoma, which ended segregated graduate schools. So wow. these like preceded and um, were essentially served as a precursor to Brown versus Board. Wow. So when Brown versus Board came before the Supreme Court, uh, the Supreme Court was able to rely on, as well as Thurgood Marshall, able to rely on these precedential cases to essentially yeah. argue that the Constitution, specifically the 14th Amendment, mm-hmm. does uh, require desegregation of uh, schools. Uh, wow. So that, it is still like an inspirational thing to me. And it's also, you know, it's also the thing that inspired uh, uh, Justice Ginsburg um, in her plan to kind of knock down um, gender-based segregation. Wow. So it is amazing in that regard. Yeah, of course. That is incredible. And, you know, thank you for geeking out for a little bit because there's so, (laughs) no, honestly, because there's so much that we don't know, you know, myself included. So just hearing that, it's like, wow, you know, especially, you know, I'm, I'm, as you were talking, I'm sitting back and I'm thinking about what we learned in public school. Um, and I'm like, I don't remember hearing about any of those of those cases prior to, you know, I, I barely heard about Thurgood Marshall and the Brown versus Board of Education, maybe for like a blimp uh, right. for, a, you know, a second. And then we moved on. Um, yeah. So it's it's really incredible to hear about our history. And then mm-hmm. uh, also, I have to say this, Nigel, because I'm Nigerian as well. <laughs> I'm go. so like, I'm so proud, you know, because. 
yeah, we talk about, you know, our parents wanting us to be doctors and lawyers and engineers. And I always stress, you know, I have a sister that wants to be a doctor. I'm like, there's nothing, you know, wrong with that. If that's what you've been called to do, if that's what you're led to do, as long as when you are on that, wherever, whatever platform that God has given you, whatever call that you have on your life, that you are making a difference. And I love to hear the passion in your voice as you talk about that, because I'm like, we need passionate people that really are about the heart and about about the heart of the people and changing and causing change and being a change agent. And that's what you're doing. So thank you for that. Um, I want to, I want to talk about just your process. Um, You talk about in the beginning of this uh, interview, you talked about dealing with doubt and, you know, navigating that. I want to talk more about that, especially for those of us that are taking our shot, that are deciding that we're going to step out and that we're going to go after and in our purpose and, and, and do all the things that are in our heart to do. It is it is not an easy journey and there is a lot of doubt. There is a lot of fear when it comes to that. And, you know, there can be a lot of inconsistency. So how were you able to maneuver that to be where you are? Because you've done a lot of incredible things that we'll get into a little bit later. Yeah, thank you. And that is such an amazing question because if I'm being honest, I just doubted my passion last week. (laughs) And I doubted it last month and I doubted it last year. And I think, um, not I think I know, as you stated, it is an ongoing process and it is an ongoing journey. And it's something that um, I have to consistently bring back to the person, to the, to the God who yeah. gave it me. Yeah. Um, just to make sure that my heart is in it, just to make sure my heart is pure, just to make sure I'm navigating it with integrity. And should he decide that this is no longer, uh, you know, uh, where my journey goes, then, you know, allowing the strength and grace to pivot. Yeah, if, that's you know, good. If necessary. But in terms of how I engage the process, again, I think it really comes down to prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things that I've become super, super clear about during my journey as an attorney, because I've been an attorney for five years now is, you know, God said, never said the process wasn't going to be difficult. He just said that yeah. you in the midst of it all. Yeah. So whenever I felt like I really wanted to leave and trust me, I am the type of person that puts things in place when I am ready to leave. Like yeah. I start you know, uh, leveling down on work. I start networking up. I start going to coffees with people. I start really putting into um, place the structures that allow me to pivot. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and I've done that probably more times than I care to admit at this point. Wow. But, uh, but finally coming to the conclusion that this is definitely something that I can stay in and should stay in um, for reasons that, like I think you said, um, are very connected to what God has showed me with regard to my purpose and what I could do um, to change the world through my unique gifts. And also, I think this is important um, to just emphasize, I have a group of people who are very committed to not having me quit. Yeah, that's good. That's to not good. having me quit. Um, because, you know, I am an attorney. I can argue. I can definitely argue and articulate yeah. the, the, the bases mm-hmm. for why I should walk away. Mm-hmm. And for people who don't necessarily know me or for people who don't know how invested I 
am in this journey, mm-hmm. it's for them to just say, oh yeah, that sounds really great. You should walk away. Yeah. Whereas there are people who will, you know, definitely challenge yeah. and, and really, um, really encourage me to unpack what exactly it is that I'm feeling in any particular moment. Um, like for instance, I was studying for the California bar, mm-hmm. which is the hardest bar in the country. And it was my second bar. I mm-hmm. took a bar right before that. And I moved back, I moved to the West coast and, you know, as is often the case with very difficult things, I wanted to quit. I wanted, I was asking myself, why am I doing this? I'm already an attorney on the East coast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, I remember just calling one of my mentors and she, you know, kind of telling her, you know, I really think I should just go back to the East Coast. Like, this is right. something that I think I should be doing. And she really, like, took the time to unpack what it was that I was really uh, experiencing. And it was, like, it was fear. Mm-hmm. Much like, you know, me needing or, 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 or being justified in quitting. It was really fear. It yeah. Was really- it was fear of my greatness. It was fear of what this journey would, how this journey would unfold and mm-hmm. how much more I'd be able to do um, once I get this uh, certification. Wow. Um, but yeah, I had, and then also it was the fact that I wasn't sleeping as much because I was always worrying and it was mm-hmm. like exercising. So it was a lot that people in my life helped me unpack, but because they knew how, uh, pivotal my purpose was yeah going to let me let let my purpose go without a fight they were willing to get over my purpose and that to me is so important that's good so I want to actually dive a little more into some of the things you just said I love that you said that you are willing to first of all that you're willing to pivot if need be and I love that because a lot of the times when we are, you know, taking a shot, you know, a lot of people, there's this fear of, you know, am I doing the right thing? Am I, you know, am I in the right place? And am I making the right decision? What if I made a mistake? But I love what you just said. I love how you said, look, listen, if this isn't right, or if I sense that God is calling me a different direction, I'm not afraid to move and change. And um, I love that you said that, especially for those that are listening, to be able to hear somebody that's moving and, you know, had fears and, you know, all the, the normal feelings of any human, but said, you know what, if this isn't you know, where I'm supposed to be, that's okay. I'm willing to move. But then not only that, I love that you said, but I'm also surrounded by people who won't, who see the greatness of my life. I'm surrounded by mentors who won't let me quit. That's also an important part of, mm-hmm. you know, because at times when you're walking in purpose, the, that, that feeling of fear is normal. It's actually a normal thing, but it, it's, it's so helpful. I can't even think of a better word to have people around you that will say, we see you um, and we will not let you quit because we see the amazing gift on your life and people that you were able to to uh, were able to pull you up when you were down or were able to speak life into you when you were saying, I want to turn away, I want to quit. And we're able to discern like, no, you know, you, you just don't want to quit because, you know, this is, you think this is what you want to do. You want to quit because you're afraid. And so mm-hmm. let's deal with that. So Mm-hmm. I, I just for the people listening, I just want them to hear that, that, you know, first of all, 
it's okay if you don't know, but just keep moving. Um, And if you need to pivot, then pivot. You can make a change. And then secondly, is to be surrounded by people who can see, you know, you're in it. Sometimes you're so in it that you, you know, you can't see just because you're deep in what you're doing, but somebody on the outside looking in has a different perspective and Mm -hmm. can lift you up and can pull you up and can give you, you know, speak words of encouragement, wisdom into you that give you the life that you need to keep going. So I absolutely love that. You talk about the first few years of your life as an attorney shaking your foundation. I think that's really interesting. I want to talk a little bit more about that. What do you mean by what what shook your foundation? Um, And can you share more uh, about your experience of what you learned uh, during your first years? Absolutely. So I, you know, again, by way of background and context, I am a proud Brooklynite. I'm from Brooklyn, New York. Mm -hmm. I grew up in the project of Brooklyn, New York, you know, on food stamps, single parent household, you know, I, I, I talk about, you know, the the needles on the staircase, the pee in the elevators, like the hood. Mm -hmm. And I ended up going to law school in California. I went to a top 10 law school in in California. And then I returned back to New York. But I didn't return back to New York exactly as like the girl from the projects per se. I returned back, you know, credentialed and working at a top 20 law firm and becoming like a young urban professional. I lived Mm -hmm. in Harlem. You know, I had my own apartment. I, you know, was in the social scene Mm -hmm. and, um, and I was working very long hours because, uh, working in a big international law firm, as anyone knows is, uh, you know, can be, um, very trying at times and, and it's a opportunity as well as, uh, a circumstance that requires you to to work a a lot of long hours. So in that context, I found myself really vacillating between shifting identities and shifting worlds. Mm. Um, You know, while I was in Harlem, kind of being the young urban professional, my mom and my family was still back in Brooklyn, New York, was still back in the projects, was still on food stamps, was still in subsidized housing. So that was very much a part of my identity still. Mm. And it was very much a part of an identity that I really didn't have the tools to grapple with as I navigated the different spaces of prestige and privilege. Mm. So, um, whereas, you know, I would be, you know, in networking events and I would see and I would hear conversations and meet a part of discussions where people were talking about, you know, getting a dress at for steel for like $300. And then I would go back to Brooklyn, New York, oftentimes after church on Sundays to visit my family. And, um, and an Uber was like a luxury. Wow. So these were the worlds that I was navigating on a pretty consistent basis, a weekly basis, sometimes a daily basis. And I didn't necessarily have the tools to really grapple with it. Mm. Uh, Another thing that I think is uh, kind of exemplary of this kind of vacillation is uh, the, the, the finances of it all. You know, I, you know, grew up not necessarily budgeting, not necessarily knowing how to budget, Mm. 
know, having more month than money. And then I came into, you know, a lot of financial abundance to some extent and really trying to figure out, okay, who am I in this space? Yeah. Like, what do I do with this kind of newfound privilege? Because I did have privilege. Yeah. Um, That's good. How do I engage things like budgeting? How mm-hmm. do I form healthy financial boundaries? Yeah. Members who suddenly think that, you know, you won this amazing lottery and now you're like this millionaire. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because you have this job. Yeah. When Sally Mae is still coming for you. So come on. <laughs> so how do you, um, oh, forget the background noise, forgive me. But yeah. How do you engage this experience mm-hmm. in a way that allows you to be authentic? Right. Uh, yourself and your journey and your purpose. So my foundation in the first few years as an attorney was really shaken by just this um, overwhelming sense of not really knowing what my authentic self looked like Mm. and and overwhelming questions of who am I? What am I supposed to be? Yeah. um, How am I supposed to navigate the spaces that I'm in and still stay authentic to myself? What tools am I supposed to use in order to unpack what exactly is going on in this journey and how can I be successful with all of that going on? Right. Right. Um, So that became really overwhelming and it became really arduous and hard. And eventually I wanted to quit. Mm. That was the first of many times that I eventually like was structuring to pivot. Yeah. And Again, like because of a combination of amazing mentors who are committed to not having me quit, as well as divine intervention, mm-hmm. and I mean that, and in, in, in as like I really mean divine intervention. I remember going for an interview for a job that was not legal in nature, mm-hmm. and the person ended up ministering to me and praying for me on the interview. And wow! Said, I really think no, not I really think, but for something is telling me that you should stay an attorney. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah. And I was like, this is not right. I want to go for this other job. They're like, nope, you're going to stay an attorney and I'm going to, and I'm going to support you along that way. Wow. Yeah. So um, because of divine intervention and a lot of mentorship and guidance, I ended up staying on this journey. But because, you know, the, the core or my foundation was shaken, I knew I had to figure out a way that that was authentic to me to yeah. navigate this space. So what did that look like? That looked like really, really engaging self-care, courageous self-care. Like That looked like me actually going to therapy to unpack a lot of the trauma That's associated good. with my upbringing. It yeah. looked like getting really spiritual and then going to church more often and, yeah. and really being in the word and, and making a commitment to wake up early in the morning and read the Bible and just get grounded in who I am and whose I am. It yeah. really looked like me taking back my identity in a space that wasn't necessarily designed to have me um, live out the fullest manifestation of it. Wow. That is awesome. Wow. Yeah. So specifically in terms of what I've learned, I've learned just the importance of kind of drinking your water and minding your business, like really tending to your purpose and what speaks to you and how it speaks to you Mm. in a way that's unique to you. Wow. Um, Because if you're navigating your purpose in a way that speaks to you and is unique to you, you won't go awry. Wow. So Yeah. Wow, your story is absolutely incredible. There's so much I want to 
pull from that. Um, first of all, just the where you come from and your background, although you are a proud um, Brooklynite, as you said, um, the fact is where you grew up, a lot of people would have, wouldn't have guessed that you'd be able to make it out of there. But your story is yet another story of somebody who came from humble beginnings and went after everything God called her to and faced mm-hmm. difficulties and obstacles and, you know, walking through different worlds and all this adversity and, and are still standing. And even when you wanted to quit, God would not let you. And you call, <laughs> you know, I, I love that story. You talk about you call and somebody praying for you saying, you know, I don't, I don't think you're supposed to quit. Like, really, which is so, I remember just thinking, I was like, I called this big corporation to have an interview and I ended up like speaking to, like, it's like the equivalent of speaking to like TD Jakes. And I was like, I don't, this is not what it calls for. And wow. but I think it goes back to the, it, it, it reminds me of something that I heard in a sermon not too long ago um, about purpose chasing you down. Yeah, that's about good. Purpose really, really chasing you down and, and not letting you go and really kind of Um, putting you in a space where you say, you know what, less of me, God, and more of you. Because if I try to do it my own way, I'm going to consistently get knocked down. I'm going to consistently get hurt. I'm going to consistently, you know, um, engage and undergo things that I truly just don't have to go through. So less of me and more of you. That's good. Oh my gosh, your story is so incredible. I want to keep going. Okay, so you talk about being the first African-American associate in over a decade first of all black girl magic okay (laughs) (laughs) in your silicon valley valley law firm as as somebody that um has to navigate that and somebody that you know has family and friends that also have to navigate those spaces can you talk about you know how you how you you dealt with that how you because it is it is even as someone that grew up you know in that kind of space, it's still, it's still different to walk, to, to work in, in that environment. So how were you, how did you navigate just being the first African-American in 10 years? Like what were the difficulties you faced? How did you um, get yourself ready to go to work? And um, how did you deal with the challenges, the, the comments, the microaggressions, all of that? How did you navigate all of that? Yeah, so I want to, so I've been at my law firm, which is a, you know, a top international litigation firm um, for two years now. Mm -hmm. And when, and I went there um, as a lateral, and that essentially means that I did not come there straight from law school. I went there after a couple of years of practice. Okay. So I knew largely what I was getting myself into. And also I came from um, navigating predominantly white spaces for about three years um, prior to my, uh, prior to my entry into this law firm. So there was definitely um, uh, some learned lessons (laughs) that I've um, accumulated over my time of practice up until that point. And one of the biggest lessons that I learned was I cannot find my identity um, or my 
internal sense of belonging. And this is not to say that you don't belong in these spaces, but I cannot seek these things um, in any space, but in myself and God. Come on. Yes. Stuff in God. Yes. So, so it really comes down to, and I think this is, and I know that this is tied to um, essentially what had to happen for me to be able to navigate the legal field successfully as a first generation attorney and first generation professional. It really comes down to who do you see yourself as, notwithstanding what people see you as? Mm-hmm. And, navigate and how do you cultivate a healthy sense of self notwithstanding how people see you right and for me again that looks like therapy yeah like, there are definitely times where I've dealt with what I consider microaggressions or I've dealt with what I've considered just straight out biases just straight yeah. out bias mm-hmm. and um unpacking that with a community that I've kind of built because I knew that my purpose was big yeah. Um, so I have a career coach. Mm. Who I literally go back and forth, um, just have conversations with about what goes on in the workplace. And we formulate strategy about how to navigate a space in a way that still feels authentic to me. I have a therapist. I have a pastor. Mm. I have mm. my mom. I have a men- mm. I have several mentors, including mentors who also serve as, you know, courageous, amazing Black women attorneys in the space that they navigate. So I have a whole host of people who remind me of who I am. am, So I don't have to get my identity or sense of self from these spaces. Yeah, that's good. I love how you keep going back to that support that you have. And I, I absolutely love that. And not you know, as a believer myself, yes, I, I, you know, believe that God is there for us and he supports us and he helps us. Absolutely. But I also love that you are also reliant on the people that he's placed around you to help you, you know, navigate this and that you talk about not finding your identity in, in this space as being, you know, the first, yes, it is true. You are the first African-American and, you know, over a decade, uh, associated over a decade and all of those things. But at the end of the day, you root your identity in something uh, more everlasting, something that will never fail, something that is not fickle, which is your relationship with God and who you are to him. And I'm sure that has kept you in a lot of trying situations. So, um, Absolutely. And I will say that it's also allowed me to figure, to, to find really, really creative ways to navigate the space. So I remember, yeah. so one of the things that I talk about in my business, the First Generation Purpose Project, is figuring out ways to engage the space in a way that still feels authentic to you. That's good. So um, as you, as we talked about earlier, we're Nigerian, I'm Nigerian. So one of the things that is really, really important to my identity is just the type of food I eat. Like I love, you know, jollof rice and and stew and, and spinach with shrimp. Like I love that stuff and I make it pretty often. Yeah. And oh, she um, can cook, cook. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And I, um, again, I was a lateral, like I lateraled in to my law firm, which meant that like a lot of people didn't necessarily know me. And because I was at that time, a third and fourth year, I was relatively expensive. My billing rate was expensive. Mm -hmm. So because people didn't know me and I was expensive, 
And, you know, just add to that, I'm Black, I'm a woman, I'm in the Silicon Valley. I don't think a lot of people would immediately jump to the opportunity to get to work with me. So it was really, a lot of it was really up to me to start networking. Mm. And one of the ways I did it was um, I threw a happy hour. I threw a Nigerian happy hour. Like I made food. I got some sponsorship from my firm. I, I was able to buy some drinks, able to, you know, a lot like put together a space of fellowship and networking. And it was in that space that I really um, had the opportunity to get to know a lot of the other associates and lawyers in my firm and thereby get on work, like get on cases. Mm-hmm. So it was a it was something that felt authentic to me. Like I didn't do it in a way that felt necessarily out of place for me. And it benefited me in the long run. Like people still ask me about my food to this day. <laughs> um, wow. But it is a but I was able to kind of uh, bring my authenticity to the table and have yeah. it. Yeah. Wow. You know, that's so incredible because um, that you did that because oftentimes there's this pressure to hide who yeah. you are because, yeah. you know, you have to fit in and you can't let them see who you are. What gave you the courage? Because <laughs> that's courageous. That that's I, that's I don't take that lightly at, at, at all. As somebody growing up who um, felt like she had to hide herself for a very long time and is now beginning to step into all that she is, um, I know the courage of just deciding I'm going to be authentic. And you either love it or you don't. But I won't hide for you. What gave you the courage to do that and then to invite other people? into seeing your culture and who you are and networking and all of that, like without knowing if they would love it or not, you know, how did you, how girl, like what? Yeah. <laughs> I love that. You're like, how did that happen? <laughs> um, it really happened. It, it wasn't. And how can I say this in a way that I had no choice. Right. I had no choice. Like, again, purpose will chase you down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> purpose will chase you down. And remember remember the times, like I told you, I wanted to quit. I wanted to actually quit. And um, I talk about this, like I've talked about this in other interviews. So, um, and I can talk about it a little bit here. One of those I want to quit times was actually really, really dark and dire. Mm. Like, the one of the I wanted to quit times was also a, uh, accompanied by a really, really dark form of depression mm. and suicidal thoughts. Wow. And that really came as a result. A large part of it was attributed to me not being authentic, me navigating these spaces in the way that did not allow me to breathe wow. um, pretty much. So I realized that if I was going to navigate big laws, I was going to navigate the legal field, I had no choice but to do it in a way that aligns with my authenticity. Mm. Um, I just had no choice Mm. because the last thing I wanted to happen was to get back into that dark space Mm -hmm. of depression and anxiety and angst and trepidation Mm -hmm. um, and thereby take myself out of my purpose. Wow. So, um, yeah, 
I had no choice. Wow. 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 And it was, and I think it started off simple. Like it started off like with the food and then it kind of escalated to me um, hosting panel discussions about the need for diversity in the big law. Wow. You know, writing articles about it, but it was like, you have no choice. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Full force. Um, And yes, I'm so glad that it ends up that it's benefiting so many people, particularly people like me and come from my background, but it really is like therapy to me. (laughs) Wow. Wow. And it's so crazy how you being your authentic self opened up these doors for you to do panels and do other incredible things, which says a lot uh, to us about deciding and being brave and showing up regardless of the fear of rejection. I absolutely love that. Your story is so inspiring. Um, You founded First Generation Purpose Project, and you talked a little bit about that. Um, I want you to tell us what inspired you to start, what this organization is, and what inspired you to start, and why did you choose to focus on first-generation professionals? Yeah, so the First Generation Purpose Project is an initiative designed to help first-gen professionals or first-gen rock stars navigate life and career by utilizing the grit and tenacity that we already have. Yeah. And the First Generation Purpose Project is really an amazing space that um, I've had the wonderful privilege of cultivating to talk to first-gen professionals um, about what it truly means to be in the fullness of your purpose and spaces in which you are the first in your family to navigate. Yeah. Uh, And what that actually looks like. And, you know, we talk about, you know, navigating career and understanding the unwritten rules and understanding the politics and, and the importance of mentorship, which is absolutely a necessary discussion that we still have to have to this day. But not only that, I talk about navigating life. Mm-hmm. I talk about forming healthy financial boundaries with family members. Mm. I talk about um, engaging in self-care. I talk about enjoying the fruits of your labor, mm. especially if you weren't raised to really take a break sometimes. Yeah. Uh, so that's what this community, this amazing community um, of first-gen rock stars is really all about. And I started the First Generation Purpose Project in 2018 um, because I wanted to be the resource that I needed when I was starting off as a first-gen professional. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as you probably know, there's so many resources out there for first-generation students. Yeah. First-generation students, um, you know, have a plethora of resources at their disposal to, you know, um, choose classes and apply for college and get financial aid and get scholarship. But once we graduate, it, it, you know, the resources drop significantly. Yeah. It's very much like a sense of good luck and Godspeed. Yeah. I still needed the guidance for lack of a better work term mm-hmm. and support systems in place mm-hmm. in order to navigate the spaces that I was called to navigate successfully. Mm. Um, I needed to know how to budget. I needed to know how to form healthy financial boundaries. I needed to know how to kind of unpack the trauma that I um, was exposed to and Mm -hmm. experienced 
in my upbringing and how yeah. that affects my uh, my tenure as an attorney. Mm-hmm. I needed to know how to do that. And I didn't see resources that were helping me do that. Uh, so I created it. Yeah. It's wow. been there it really, is. Yeah. And it's been a really, really great journey and a great ride because what I had come to realize is that a lot of people need that resource. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That is awesome. That is awesome. Now, for someone struggling to figure out, you know, what their purpose is in the first place, you know, for someone that, you know, isn't even there yet, like they're like, I've been trying to figure out what my purpose is, how, you know, you knew yours when you were five. How do I find mine now? What would you say to that person? I would say, and this is something, I think purpose is not uh, a static Uh, experience so that's the first thing I'll say so even and and I who I think about when I when I when I say that is you know Michelle Obama Mm -hmm. Michelle Obama if you've read the book um, Becoming she talks about you know going to Princeton and going to Harvard Law School and seeing herself you know in a big law firm and then realizing I don't want to be an attorney. <laughs> mm, this is good. not what I want to do. And then making the pivot yeah. that eventually led her to head a foundation and, and help young kids and really make a difference in the lives of the people in her community and yeah. specifically in the South Side of Chicago. So purpose is not a static yeah. uh, experience or static thing. It is ever evolving. It is ever changing. And I truly, truly believe with every fiber of my being that your purpose in one season can definitely feed into your purpose for the next season. That's good. So it's really important to just have grace with yourself should you decide um, that it's time to pivot or time to change. Yeah. Everything yeah. that you need to do everything that you want has already been in you. Yeah. Has already been formulated in you, has already been honed in you, has already been built up in you. Um, so that's the first thing I would say. And the second thing I would say is purpose really comes, um, in serving. Mm. I, I, I believe that. Um, and the reason I say that is because for me, like I can get really in my head sometimes mm-hmm. if I don't make a conscious decision to get out of my head and serve mm. in serving that I realize, oh, this is what I like to do. This is what I don't like to do. This is what um, aligns with my uh, authenticity. This is what doesn't align with it. So I'll go down this path and not that path. But I would have never known that had I not jumped into the experience. Mm. So it's really important um, to engage in action. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And what does that look like? That looks like sometimes, you know, going on Facebook and maybe sending a DM to somebody that you admire or yeah. going in and asking someone for coffee yeah. um, or, you know, um, volunteering in your community or volunteering for a specific organization or asking to shadow somebody at their job. It really looks like engaging in full, in full out action and then taking time and assessing, okay, what worked and didn't work with this mm-hmm. Um, which is something I'm still doing, you know, yes, I'm an attorney, I'm a big law attorney, but I still, you know, I'll take on some cases that 
you know, I've never handled before. Like I'm in the middle of a patent case right now. And there are certain parts that I love about it. And there are certain parts that I'm, that I'm just like, okay, I can, this is going to benefit the next part of my journey. Mm. I've taken on securities cases. I've taken on civil rights cases all just so I can figure out, okay, like well, this is what I like. This is what I don't like about the space. Mm. Um, but I've never would have known had I not jumped into it um, full force. That's so awesome. I love how exactly what you just said embodies taking a shot. It's when you talk about just not being afraid to just DM somebody for coffee or just stepping out and not knowing, but just taking that first step and, you Mm -hmm. know, saying, can I, can I meet with you? You know, can I, you know, reaching out in spite of the fear of what if they don't respond or whatever the case may be still reaching out, take that shot, step out. That's the first step, you know, in, in doing anything, take that first step. You never know. And then I love how you talk about Michelle. I remember when you were talking about that, I was thinking about Oprah and how when she first started, she was a news anchor yep. and she would have emotion when she was, um, Take, saying the news and you're story. not yeah you're not allowed to have that but yet she 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 was in that and you know she thought that was what she wanted to do but she was like you know what this isn't for me I'm crying not supposed to be crying so I'm going to exactly what you said I'm going to pivot I'm going to uh, move in another direction and so and you embody exactly what Take a Shot is all about. I want to talk to you uh, really briefly about your future. Um, <laughs> you know, you're already doing incredible things at the age that you are now. You are really, um, I'm sure, causing inspiration for so many around you. I know you've been doing that for me in just a short amount of time that I've been talking to you. So you've done a lot um, already. Where do you see yourself five years from now? What are what are some of your plans? Yeah, I, you know, <laughs> I think about that relatively often. And there are times where I have this like, elaborate plan. And um, if you know anything about, you know, just what the Bible says, it says mortals make elaborate plans, but God has the final word. So, yeah. you know, I keep it open to whatever God or destiny has for me. But um, specifically, I definitely see the First Generation Purpose Project growing into something that's bigger than me. Mm. Um, I see it turning into an opportunity to explore every aspect of what it looks like to be first. Mm first in your family to become a preacher, first in your family to get married. Yeah. You know, what is that? Because <laughs> yeah. what does that look like? First in your yeah. family to graduate from college. Yes, of course. But mm-hmm. what does it actually look like to be the first entrepreneur, the yeah. first you know, the first uh, founder? Yeah. Like, what does it look like? So the First Generation Purpose Project um, will be an amazing organization that explores every aspect of what it looks like to be first. And then in terms of my career, you know, obviously, you know, heading the First Generation Purpose Project, but also taking on cases that really matter to me, Mm. taking on cases that really, really touch, move, and inspire me so I can use my unique skills to touch, move, and inspire others. Um, um, So, yeah. I'm still exploring that. I'm still exploring what that looks like because as I said a couple of minutes ago, you know, I'm still kind of in this exploration phase of like taking on every single case that kind of comes through the door Mm -hmm. and seeing what I like and what I don't like. We're starting to get a clearer sense of what cases I do like and taking them on and building an expertise in them. 
That's awesome. That is awesome. I'm so excited about your future. I'm excited about what God has in store for you. And I'm really, really excited about First Generation Project because I know I know a little something about being the first and, and how navigating that and the hows and the fears and all of that. So I'm excited to see how that grows and that blossoms into everything that your heart desires. So this is a speed round. I want to ask you a couple of questions and I don't want you to pause. I want you to say <laughs> the first thing that comes to to your mind. Uh, <laughs> what is your favorite song right now? Brown Skin Girl by Beyonce. Oh, come on, girl. Yes, yes, yes. I just mm-hmm. talked about that on an episode, but yes. Uh, what is your favorite? Well, first, hold on, pause. That's a, what is your favorite? That's supposed to pause. <laughs> I know, I'm breaking my own rules. Okay. Um, what is your favorite show to binge watch? The Office. The Office. What is everybody... Uh, okay. Anyway, um, what is the funniest or most embarrassing thing that has happened to you recently? Whew. Okay. So I had been um, just talking with this community of people for the longest time. And I actually met one of the leaders of a community recently. And we had like an hour and a half long meeting. And I spent the entire hour and a half calling him by the wrong name. Ooh. Calling him by the wrong name. And then it was at the end of the meeting that he tells me, um, yeah, that's not my name. <laughs> oh my God. Well, first of all, why did he say something in the beginning? What in the okay. I don't know. But okay. um then I just like, you know, followed up with and I was like, I'm so sorry. And then I kept on calling him by the right name, like every single sentence. I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh my gosh. Back and just saying, hello, X, like, hello, Mike. This is yeah. So that was a pretty uh, oh wow cringe oh wow uh, yes yes I would say that who or what inspires you the most um whew, right now I would say just a couple of my women friends uh, mm-hmm. like we talk a little bit about pivoting and about kind of being courageous enough to step out of your journey I have a couple of really really amazing women friends of color um, who our attorneys and who have decided, you know, actually very recently in this season to pivot, to mm. pivot, to kind of take a pause from their career and to just give themselves time and opportunity to really assess what's important to them mm. and um, how they're going to continue navigating, navigating their career. You know, that's really, that can be really, um, that can be really daunting for some yeah. people. Mm-hmm. But what I love about them is that they really put into place the mechanisms to have like kind of a healthy time of just self reflection. Mm -hmm. Um, So they can go back into whatever calling God has for them, um, hitting the ground running. And then also Nicole Walters. She's, Oh my gosh. I love her. She is. (laughs) She is. (laughs) I've just been listening to her as of like recently. And she talks about kind of, leaving her corporate law job mm-hmm. and, and, and pivoting. And, but before that, really giving herself time to just reflect and get clear on where she's supposed to be and where God wants to take her. That's good. What is your favorite way to relax? Ooh, so I love watching movies by myself. So yes. like one day, if I ever have free time, usually mm-hmm. I, you know, drive to the nearest, to a neighborhood movie uh cinema place movie theater and get myself frozen yogurt and just sit in the theater 
by myself and just watch the movie, turn my phone off with no distractions. And it's yes. Awesome. Yes. What is one life-changing lesson that you have learned this year? Ooh. And it sounds kind of cliche and it sounds kind of corny, but it really is like the risk will be worth it. Mm. The risk will be worth it. Um, there's That's some good. things that I'm just considering right now in my season, mm-hmm. um, things that I have considered in prior seasons. Mm-hmm. And I've stepped out of faith, not necessarily knowing what the next step was going to be. Yeah. It's always kind of come um, into place. So the risk will be worth it. That's good. That's good. Thank you again, Rook. You've been, I hope it's okay if I call you Rookie. Yes, um, okay. I was thinking about your story and I was like, ooh, I haven't been calling her by her full name. Um, but thank you so much. You have shared so much about your journey, your story. And I really wish that I had more time to just hear more of what you have to pour because you have so much to pour. But I've learned so much. And, and thank you so much for just choosing to be on here, sharing your wisdom. I, I really appreciate you. Um, please let us know where we can find you online so we can stalk you and see where you are five years from now. I love it. I love it. And and I have to say, thank you so much for having me on your show. Like, again, I love your podcast and just um, the spaces that you've allowed to have this discussion is just something is nothing short of amazing. So thank you. Thank you. Um, so where you can find me online, you can go to Instagram at First Generation Purpose Project. And there you'll find um, stories and words of inspiration for the first generation rock star. Um, and you can also find me on LinkedIn under Rukaya Tutajani. You mm-hmm. can also go to my website, firstgenpurposeproject.com. Awesome. Thank you, Ricky. I appreciate you. you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. I know that I learned so much, not only about the history of this country, but also I was greatly inspired and greatly encouraged to keep moving, to keep going, to know that I'm not alone in the many things that, you know, you go through as you decide to take that step of faith, as you decide to go after everything that God has put on your heart. I hope you found that conversation really as refreshing as I did. If you did, I'd love to hear all about it. I'm on social media. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, at Emma. Also, you can find me via email at takeashotpodcast at gmail.com. Also, if you listen to this podcast and you are an avid listener and you enjoy what you hear, then I definitely invite you to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Doing so allows others to find this show as well. As always, you already know the drill. I love you. I appreciate you. And as always, I cannot wait to talk to you in the next episode. Bye, guys prescription it's funny cause i got addicted to you when we were in love and even though you broke it off a struggle with it like you were a bottle of pills i wish i could give in to my dependency but i move on because i know what's bad for me cause seeing you means calling you means I'm falling for